0: Welcome to Swarupa Vidya Ashram. My name is Swami Nirmalananda. Each audio is a discourse but I offered at satsang, a free meditation program, and was followed by meditation. These teachings address the underlying questions of life. Who am I? Why am I here? How do I do what I came here to do? Meditate and discover that you are greater than you could ever imagine.
1: Om Namah Shivaya Gurabe Satchidanandamurtaye Nishpapanchaya Shantaya Niralambhaya Tejase Murtanandaya Gurabe Shisha Samsara harane. Hakta kayaka de haya namaste chitsaratmane eta vejagatameva samsara nava se te prabhave sarva vidyanam shambhabe guru veinamaha guru brahma guru vishnu guru devo maheshwara Guru Sakshat Para Brahma shri good Gurave Namaha Om Swarupa Swaswa Bhava namo Namaha
0: Om. I bow to my own self. I bow to my Baba's own self. I bow to His Baba's own self. I bow to your own self, O Shiva. Your own divine essence, your own beingness, your own self. Again and again, I bow. Om Swarupa Swaswa Baba Namo Namah. What you are not. You are not your dog. We all enjoy seeing photos of people walking dogs that look like them. Tall, slinky women walking greyhounds. And big, bulky men walking bulldogs. As funny as that can seem, it's really true that people begin to think like their dog. Animalistic, instinctual, easily threatened, needing lots of TLC cuddly sometimes, and growling with teeth showing at other times. All those animalistic instincts are intact in the human being. But is that how you want to live? You are not a dog. You probably get down on the floor with your dog or have it come up and cuddle with you. Maybe you even share tidbits of food with it. You let your dog determine your schedule. When you'll go for a walk, coordinated, of course, with when the dog needs to pee and poop. But you can get so caught up in the dog that you get confused. Who was the dog and who was the owner? You are not your dog. You are not your car. I drove sporty little two-seaters for 15 years. I love a manual transmission. Especially on hills and curves. And during that time period, I lived in a hilly area with lots of curvy roads. I took full advantage of it. I remember with one of those cars, I found out that part of the manufacturing process was that they tuned the muffler to a cord. I gotta tell you, downshifting. With the top of the car down, downshifting was glorious. I've seen people, both young and old, spend too much money on getting fast or fancy cars. They drive right by our front door here and rev their engines. I am my car. No, you're not. It's fine to enjoy your car, to pick one that suits you, that suits your needs and preferences. But don't get lost in it. You are not your car. You will outlive your car just like you will outlive your dog, or at least I hope so. Both are replaceable. It's true. You are not your car. You are not your clothes. You may put some effort into getting the right clothes, whether you're looking for the right color, the right fit, the right label, or the right bargain. But you are not your clothes. I remember being at an event taught by another swami. The swami was a fashion designer before she became a swami. After her sannyas initiation, she intentionally downgraded her wardrobe, using her sewing skills to create simple garments in orange cotton. They were sort of boxy shapes without belts or buttons, no fittings, really loose and shapeless. Yet she was radiant. Her clothes did not make her radiant. It was her years of deep practice, along with her guru's blessing and the vows that she had taken. Swamis wear orange because we're initiated in a fire ceremony, so we wear the color of fire ever after. And she really did blaze with the fire of yoga. Her presentation was masterful and loving and really drew people in. Yet she was surprised by the warm reception the group gave her, about 80 people, all participating in her teachings and the ceremony she brought quite enthusiastically. At one point, spontaneously, she exclaimed, I made these to be just the simplest of clothes, but you really do love me. She was used to having the clothes make the woman. She hadn't gotten over it yet. I have a family member who quibbles about the length of his suit jacket sleeves. One sixteenth of an inch matters to him a lot. You are not your clothes. Now, I'm glad you wear some. And it is respectful to dress well when you're getting these holy teachings. I appreciate that you present yourself in the best light, but you are not your clothes. They are important, but they don't make you who you are. You are not your clothes. You are not your age. I've met 14 year olds who ask me deep questions that most adults don't think of. And I've met 50 year olds who act like six year olds. One of the descriptions of a great being is that they are childlike, not childish, but childlike. What does that mean? Curious. Enthusiastic, trusting, generous, playful, simple, candid, compassionate, joyful, and more. By contrast, we think of the old folks around us as being crotchety, pessimistic, cynical, repeating the same stories over and over, for they live in the past. They can even be hostile or self-protective, apathetic, or hard to please. This kind of mindset does age you. The saying is, you are only as old as you feel. Well, I mean, what if you do yoga? Your body starts to feel better, which happens in your first class. You are euthanated. And the physical changes improve your neuroregulators, so you start to be a happier, even in your first class. Your age is a function of how you use your body and mind. There's no odometer installed in your dashboard. You are not your age. You are not your gender. Your body is male or female, or perhaps non-binary. Okay. But you are the one who has this body. You are not your body, which means you are not your gender. Yoga goes a step further and says that you have lived many lives. You have had many bodies over time. Perhaps in your last lifetime, you were the same gender as this lifetime. Perhaps not. I have had clear past life memories and meditative visions. Of being male in some prior lifetimes and others where I was female. This is not surprising. Buddha says you have to remember all your experiences from all the lifetimes you have ever lived. Wow, that's a lot. Yoga lets you off the hook and says only the really important ones will show up. Your gender is important, it's in your DNA, it shapes your body and triggers the production and release of essential chemicals called hormones, which affect your emotions. Yet you are the one who has to manage those emotions along with your physical reality. In the West, we enjoy more gender fluidity than most of the world's cultures. I have benefited from this as a woman. I've had opportunities that most women in the world don't enjoy even to be a modern-day representative of this ancient tradition. And I've seen it happening on the other side. I remember the first man I met who was a house husband. It was really mind-bending for me. Now, I know many men who really thrive in that role. It's not about gender. Every human being, male or female, has the capacity to love, to nurture, to care for another. We all have the ability to clean, to cook, to sweep up. Every one of us can draw on a myriad of skills and abilities that come naturally and even develop those that require a little more attention and effort. Regardless of your gender, you can be and go and do whatever you want. This is your human capacity. It's not about gender. Your gender doesn't make you who you are. It is important but it is a way that you express your essence into the world. You are not your sex. You are not where you came from. Wherever you were born and wherever you grew up, that's not who you are now. That was the environment you confronted and used to grow into your capacities. But that was then. This is now. No matter where you came from, You're not there now. Now, most of you are not living in the house that you were born in. So I can easily say that you're not where you came from. But even if you lived in the same place, it has changed. The world has changed. You've had to develop new capacities in order to function in the changing world. And you've left others behind. I know how to use a dial telephone. I can work a ringer washing machine. I can operate a reel-to-reel tape player and tape recorder. When I was learning to cook, I used a three-minute hourglass timer to boil eggs. I can cook on an open fire. I remember the test pattern on the television screen that came on every night. And I know how to adjust the rabbit ears antenna using wire coat hangers to improve the reception. My first typewriter was non-electric. I was 10. To hit the letter A with my little finger, I had to lift up out of my chair a little bit. I know how to correct typos with an eraser all the way through three layers of carbon paper. I moved on with the changes in technology. I don't mourn the LP collection that I got rid of a couple of decades ago. But I know an American man who lives in England. He's been living there for decades, yet he's never lost his American accent. He hasn't even picked up the British terminology like lift and loo, though he does now call French fries by the British term chips. He prides himself on not changing. But the world is ever-changing. Shouldn't you keep up? You are not where you came from. You are not when you came from. You are not even where you live now. These are merely outer things, important environmental realities that you must deal with, even respond to, even have an effect on, but they don't make you who you are. You are not where you came from nor where you live now. You are not who you know. People tell me I'm the eldest child or the middle child, or I was an only child. Okay, that was then. This is now. You see, I teach adult ed. I made that choice decades ago. I like dealing with people who have fully formed personalities. A complicated past and an interest in getting over it. Since I teach adult ed, by definition, you're an adult now. At least, you look that way to me. You feed yourself. You even take responsibility for managing your life, as well as other people, and maybe even a dog or other pets. But you are not the dog. You are not the people you know. You are not even who they think you are. Whatever you show to them, there is more to you. Even in your greatest efforts to full transparency, it's impossible to share everywhere you've been and all that you've done, not to mention all that you think. Plus, wherever you've been and whatever you've done, that's not who you are. That's just the springboard from which you bound into your chosen future. That's the past. Yes, you were in those places. But you are the you who was there. You are the one who performed those actions and thought those thoughts. You are the being who is in the relationships you were in. But you are more than they think you are. You are more than you think you are. I used to say, I am a teacher. And then I realized, I'm not a teacher. Teaching is an action. I perform that action to the best of my ability and with the fullest heart that I can express. Yet I teach. I am not a teacher. I am a person. I am a person who teaches. If you think I am a mother or I am a father, try changing it to I mother or I father. It's an action not an identity. Yes, you have a role, an important role in your family, in your extended family, in your community, wherever you choose to place yourself, whatever you choose to give, wherever you choose to invest yourself, that role is important. But that role is something you do. It is not who you are. You bring who you are into that role. It doesn't give you you. You give yourself to that role, to those activities. You are not who you know. You are not what you do. Oh, and you do so many things. Even if you lay on the couch all afternoon doing nothing externally, your mind is busy with so many things. The doing goes on and on and on and on. You can be incredibly busy inside while the outside is lying. We deal with this at the beginning of every yoga class. The hardest thing we ask you to do is the first pose, lying on your back in a relaxation pose, shavasana. You drive here or you zoom in, maybe rushing to get one more thing done before class and then sprinting in and wham, lying down, unmoving. But inside you're still going 90 miles an hour. I know. So we begin with, Notice your toes, all ten toes, all at the same time. Become aware of both feet, outside and inside. We talk you through the process of becoming present in your own body, right here, in this body, in this place, in this moment in time. You see, your body is never in the future. It is never in the past. When you get in your body, you are present in the present moment. It's a fantastic pathway to the here and now. You can use your body to become fully present. And when you're present, you're you. The trick is to take you with you while you do things. When you get up and moving, yes, there are poses in the class and another shavasana at the end and then You get up and get moving. You go back into life and you probably want to speed up again. But your breath is deeper. Your spine is longer. You even have to adjust the rear view mirror in your car. Can you take you with you while you do what you do? Because you are not what you do. What you do is what you do. And you are you. You are not what you eat. What you eat does affect your body. What you eat even affects your mind. One of my favorite ways to get an afternoon pick me up is not caffeine, it's popcorn. Crunchy, sweet, and salty, it really fires me up. You can do it with salsa and chips or pickles. But if you make it a habit, you're going to have a bad tummy. And a bad tummy really affects your mind. So your food choices are really important, but they don't make you who you are. You can still be a really healthy eater, or you can love junk food, and you're still you. I know a yogi who went on a two-month eating plan. She confessed to it earlier. Eliminating all sugar and other things that her consultant told her was bad for her. And you know what? she survived. She even thrived. And she is still who she was. Her body has improved, perhaps even her state of mind, but she is still who she always has been. You are not what you eat. You are not your desires. First of all, if you have a desire for something, it means you don't have that thing. Thus, since you don't have it, you can't be it. Thus, you are not your desires. But your mind obsesses on what you don't have, yet want to have. And you can get totally hung up on that desire. You want it. You are suffering from not
1: having it. And you're suffering from not knowing if you will ever get it. And you're suffering from knowing that you shouldn't be so hung up on your desires. Oh, woe is me. So let me tell you how desire works.
0: When you experience a desire, if you fulfill it, the desire goes away. If you don't fulfill it, the desire goes away. Simple. Whether you fulfill the desire or not, it goes away. However, it does come back again there's a catch. If you don't fulfill the desire, it comes back again, but it's weaker. If you fulfill the desire, it comes back again, but it comes back stronger. The desire comes back sooner and it's stronger. If you don't fulfill it, it takes longer for the desire to come back again and it comes back weaker. Now, you know the pathway Freedom from desire. Simply don't fulfill your desires. However, you do have to distinguish what is needed from what is desired. Let's say you're hungry. If you call that a desire and you don't fulfill it, you could be depriving your body of needed nutrition. So, what is a desire? It's a question to look at. And when you begin to look at your desires more analytically, they don't take over anymore. And you realize you are not your desires. Then you really have a problem. If you don't have desires, how do you choose what to do? Ah, intelligence. You make decisions based on intelligence, not on need, greed, fear, and desire. That's called freedom. You are not your desires. You are not your reactions. Your reactions are nothing but desire in another form. When you're upset, angry, or afraid, it's simply because you want something different to be happening than what is happening. You desire that it be different. If you accept that what is happening is what is happening, then your reaction abates. Now you can be clear-headed, even open-hearted while you assess the situation and decide what to do, even if what you decide is to do nothing. When you're caught up in a reaction, you can't think, you can't breathe, you lose your intelligence, you get totally lost in your reaction, you say, I am frustrated or I am scared or I'm disappointed, I can't. It's true that you're feeling what you're feeling, but don't become it. Say, I feel sad instead of I am sad. You are not your reaction. You are you while your mind is reacting. It's only your mind that is freaking out. Your inner essence is undisturbed, deep, expansive, calm, cool, and collected. Which reality do you prefer? I've seen people prefer the entertainment value of their freak out. Some people prefer the manipulative value of their freakout. Some people prefer to live in the knee-jerk reflex, but it's still only your mind. And you are not your mind. You are not your reactions. And you are not your mind. So, what have I said here? You are not your dog. You are not your car. You are not your clothes. You are not your age. You are not your gender. You are not where you came from. You are not who you know. You are not what you do. You are not what you eat. You are not your desires. You are not your reactions, and you are not your mind. I could lengthen the list. By now, you probably could as well. There are so many things that are in your life, yay, but you are not those things. You are not who you think you are. You tend to grab onto so many things to construct your sense of self. It's like putting ornaments on a Christmas tree. The ornaments are beautiful, but the tree is still a tree. You are still you. Wherever you go, whatever you do, whomever you know, you are the one who is going, who is doing, who is knowing. Your essence is intact. No matter what comes your way. This essence is what yoga calls self, your core essence, your own being. You are Shiva, the one divine reality who is being all, is being you, oh Shiva. It's like this. You might think I am a mother. Nope. You find your shivaness and pour it into mothering. It's finding your shivaness that makes anything and everything work. So yoga is about finding your own self, finding your own shivaness, your core essence and being. For this, we turn inside. On the way inward, You might see some of the scenery of your life, even of past lives, where you've come from, who you've been with, what you've done, even what you hope to do. But you must keep diving deeper within. It's like a swimmer in the ocean. You dive underneath the waves. Sometimes I have sat down there under the waves, watching the waves wash overhead. It's so beautiful to see the light filtering through as the water marches on. In the same way, life marches on with the light of consciousness shining everywhere while you sit deeper within, being you, oh Shiva. Om Swarupa Swaswa Bhava Namo Namah